Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes I think we, I, kind of hold the first century church up on a pedestal and think, if only we could be, you know, like they were. If only we could capture first century Christianity, we would be in a much better place. And if you were talking about the first church in, in Jerusalem for maybe the first year they did it, then you would have something. But if you studied the rest of the New Testament, you'd find out that a lot of the first century church was a train wreck. It really was. I mean, you got the Galatians. They pervert the gospel so much they separate themselves from Christ, says Paul. You go to Revelation uh, chapters 2 and 3 and read Jesus' letters to those churches. And one, one of them, he gives high praise. The others, you get kind of, eh, there's this good and there's this bad. One of them, everything is bad. And one of them, he basically says, you make me want to puke. That is probably the most colloquial translation of what it says. The Bible usually cleans it up. I will spit you out of my mouth. That's, that's not, that's cleaned up. You make me want to puke. Well, you know what? I don't want to make Jesus puke. I, I want to learn from the mistakes of others. And one church that gives us a lot of opportunities to learn was the church in Corinth. Good grief. What a mess. They had doctrine that was just not bad. It was really bad. Their teachings of the Lord's Supper were so far off that God felt it was necessary to physically punish them. And then their belief about resurrection. They, they didn't believe bodies could resurrect or even Jesus' body was going to resurrect. I mean, that, that is towing right up to the line, I think, before you're, you're out. And then morally, I mean, the only good news about Corinth's doctrine is that it wasn't quite as bad as their moral life. They were fighting with each other as to who should be the leader. Just prior to the section that was uh, read by Paul, they, they, were talk, they were having lawsuits with each other. And Paul's like, why can't you just deal with this yourself? You should be able to. Don't go to pagan judges. There was one guy who was uh, having sexual liaison with his stepmom. They're a mess. And they were just barely removed from the culture that they were in. One thing that happened in their culture, and you can see it reflected in our reading today, is they had a lot of temples, and a lot of the temples, part of the worship was kind of ritual sex with temple prostitutes. Now, we can't even say you can find that in Newburgh, right? But it was common. It was socially acceptable, it was something that even Christians were still tempted to do. So Paul calls him out, and he says, remember who you are. Remember what God's done for you. You are not part of that mess anymore, and you can take on a sinful nature and, and overcome it. Now, I'd like to read for you 
the section that came right before uh, what was read. And like I said, I'm not really sure why this isn't in our uh, three-year series of readings. It's a fairly important passage, and this is what it says. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that's quite a list, right? And it's a list that we recognize as not just being ancient history, it is part of today. And it's a serious thing. What can I say about the items, the, the offenses on this list? Well, every one of them are the product of human sinful nature. So if you want to argue, I was born this way, in part you could be correct. Sinful nature creates a sinful body and a sinful brain, and sinful brain can have certain tendencies to violate the rules of God. And then you throw at it outside temptation and sometimes trauma and certainly the work of Satan. And you get this big, long list. And it starts with sexual sins. And a lot of times we kind of look at them. But did you realize it also included idolatry? It also included being a scam artist. It also included being a drunk. It is a lot of different things. And I would say one thing also true about this list is that none of these things were created by God. They're created by Satan at its root. That's where they come from. And still, even if you have a sinful nature inclined to anything on this list, still when, when you act on it, you are still making a choice, right? It doesn't completely rob your will, but it powerfully influences it. This list, though long, is not comprehensive, you could come up with a longer list than Paul does in, in some of his readings. And when you realize that the way God looks at sin, he looks at not just your actions, but your words and your thoughts, even motives. He looks at everything that comes out of sinful nature. Then you realize that you can't look at this list and say, those people you got to look in the mirror and say, that person, that person would not inherit the kingdom of God if it wouldn't be for the intercession of Jesus Christ. That's the fact. you got to own it. Another thing I can say about this list is it's all forgivable. God can work with it. There's only one thing that Jesus calls out 
in the whole scope of the New Testament is something that God will not work with, and it really is kind of a hard thing even to, to get yourself into. And that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I don't think it's just unbelief. I think it is you see God do something miraculous and you attribute it to Satan. And if that's the way you're going to be, then God's done with you. But everything else, Jesus died so that you could be forgiven. We all need Jesus. These people who are still not where they need to be were washed by the blood of Jesus, were made right with God, justified. And he also says they were sanctified. We'll talk a little bit more about that. All it really took was God to get through to them, to lead them to the point of saying, you know what? I see what he's talking about. I see this in me. I don't want this. I don't want it to be true. And the blood of Jesus, and that's something God has got to lead you to, and the blood of Jesus will cover you. Now, when we're connected to Jesus, we get a relationship with God where we are given access to him immediately through prayer. We get a place in heaven and new earth. We get considered to be the child of God. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to take on the qualities of God. It's a whole huge package. But there's one thing missing in my package that I wish we all had. I wish it would take away or fix whatever sinful nature is. And it doesn't do that. Just think how, just think how easy parenting would be if it took away sinful nature, Right? That'd be a snap. All our kids would be wonderful and we would be wonderful and no problem. But as it is, a little bit more of a struggle than that. We still have sinful nature. We're going to have to live with it. It puts us in a, I would say, a tension that Luther described as being a saint and a sinner at the same time. It doesn't feel good. You wish it was just all saint. Some people give up and go, all sinner. But it's the best we can hope for until now, until we die, saint and the sinner at the same time. And that's, that's a fight. And it's a fight we need, we need to fight. We have no choice. One time, one thing that I, I just fear that we as Lutherans kind of give the impression to people and they may walk away with this false conclusion that because we do a confession of sins routinely in church and we say such things as I, a poor, miserable sinner, and we ram home the idea that you are still a sinner, it might give people the false conclusion that, well, there's nothing I can do to fix it, so why try, Right? And that is not the desired effect. There is reason to try. There is hope to grow. And let's just talk about that. Because you don't, you don't want to be a person who does not try. Paul is not 
saying this to the people in Corinth because he doesn't want them to try. I'll give you an example. You ever watch a movie where the Italian mafia is a part of it? There's, there's tons of them. So they go out and they, they murder somebody, and usually it's gruesome. Where do they go the next day in the movies? To church. They go to Mass. Sometimes during Mass, they're whispering as to who's going to get whacked next. Do you see a little problem with, with that? I think God does. What do they think church is? They think it's a car wash, right? A very, very good car wash. You could do anything. You could whack a guy and then go to the car wash and you're good. And you can whack him the next, another one the next day. That, is that repentance? No, it's not. It's not understanding who you are. And that gets us to what is our motivations to fight sin if sin is forgiven by grace? And there's a bunch of them. And there's an outline, and it, it, that my outline did not do justice. There's more than that. Number one, your motivation to fight sinful nature. Do you love God? Love for God is number one on my list. He's done a lot for me. Jesus has done so much for me. And if he didn't, I would be in such a mess. He loved me first, but I'm trying to love him second. Love for God is the top. Connected to that, let's make it 1B, is the thing talked about in in our epistle lesson. it's, It's talking about people who still want to use temple prostitution as a form of entertainment and release. And he says, don't you know that you are part of the body of Christ? And that's not a metaphor in his mind. You are literally connected to Christ. Your body is part of Christ. Do you want to take Christ to the temple prostitute? And I think, and I hope everybody would go, well, no. I was planning to go by myself. But you can't. You are bought You are purchased. If you love God, honor the fact that you are now connected to Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. Number two, love for others. Your sinful nature impacts you and it impacts God. But that's not all it impacts. It impacts the people you live with, usually the people you love the most. And it starts to get bigger and bigger circles of who you impact, depending on what your sin is. And if you love other people and you want them to have good, then then overcoming that aspect of sinful nature by understanding that you love them is going to make you fight. It's going to fight such things as fear or apathy about not sharing sharing the gospel, right? That's loving other people if you share the gospel. One example. Not driving them off the road might be another example. Um, Beyond that, me fighting my sinful nature 
defends my usefulness in this world. What are you here for? You're not here to entertain yourself. You're not here to amass wealth. You're only here very transitory way. What are you to accomplish in this time that you're here? You're here to do the work, whatever the work of God that, that he gives you. That's why you're here. If we don't fight our sinful nature, how much can he really give to you? Really? It's going to look horribly hypocritical. So we fight our sinful nature because we want to defend our usefulness. And then the next one, maybe the biggest one personally, is fear of unrepentant sin. Jesus kept the law for you. Jesus paid the price of sin for you. The Holy Spirit sought you out and connected you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit fights for you to keep you connected to Jesus. But is it possible still for you to throw it all away? And the answer, sadly, is yes. One of the ways that the Bible demonstrates and experience with people demonstrates is you can throw it all away because you love sin. And when you let sinful nature have too much room, then that's the thing that can happen. You go from fighting sinful nature to rationalizing sinful nature to justifying what you do for sinful nature. And it it could be sexual, it could be monetary, it could be lots of different ways that we sin. I would propose to you that when you and I, who have been baptized into Christ, when we choose to sin, we have completely forgotten the list of our motives. We throw it away. For a moment, we do not wish to look at it. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember that list of motives. How does God help? In Romans 12, 1 to 3, Paul talks about the response to, to Jesus' death. And he says, give your bodies as living sacrifice to God. Don't, be, um, don't conform any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that transformed by the renewing of your mind is saying that God can change not only what you think, but what you think with. He can change your brain. And unfortunately, some of the things that are on that list, they are deeply entrenched, deeply rutted in neural connections in your brain. And it's going to take some work to unrut them. But it can happen. In the meantime, you're trying to limit it and bring it down, and the Spirit helps you. Another way that God helps you to do that, from 1 Corinthians 10, says, God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. I love it when people can quote that passage correctly, because everybody quotes it this way. Well, you know, Pastor, 
God says, God's not going to give me anything more than I can handle. That is not what it says. They are talking in that moment about their life's difficulties, and it really is not addressing that. It is addressing temptations. Now, they're you're pretty close. You know, they can even be connected to each other. But to be right about it, he's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also so that you may stand up under it. A way of escape. What is that escape? Most often, it is just walking away. But it could be other things as well. God will help you to do it. And the last thing that I feel I want to say about this, because it's a question people have. It's a question some church bodies have. Can you, in the course of your life, eliminate sin? And I'm highly skeptical. <laughs> Do you remember the name Oral Roberts? He was evangelist, kind of big TV evangelist in the, I don't know, 70s through 90s, perhaps. He's got a university named after him in Oklahoma. He once claimed that he hadn't sinned in, I forget what length of time was, I think years. And I was like, Really? Because he's, he's beaten me by a long shot, if that's true. I think you can get to the point where you're fantasizing that you are eliminating sin. Sin is a sneaky, multi-layered kind of thing. Do I think that you can knock her back? That you can control your mouth a lot more than it's currently controlled? That you can control your actions a lot more than they're currently controlled? that your motives can be pure and more love-driven, that even your thoughts might clear out a whole lot more? I do. Do I think you can completely eliminate it? I would love to see you do that. I think what you can do is you can force it into this little tiny box, which as long as you live, you will have to say, I, a poor, miserable sinner... I need Jesus. Now, after you're dead, I think it's done. And then you can say it. But until then, you will be a saint and a sinner at the same time. You will be in a fight. Don't be upset that you're in a fight. If you're fighting, that's good. So fight sinful nature. To glorify God for all those reasons we talked about. Remember your motivations when you're tempted to slip. Let us glorify God together. In Jesus' name, amen.